Hello, everybody. Welcome to the CR Referee Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Um, Ted, if you could introduce yourself. Ted Uncle, been refereeing in the league for quite some time. I think you know my dates better than I do. Uh, it feels like I've been refereeing uh, even beyond that, a longer period of time. And once again, I think you know my dates better than that. I think what, uh, what happens every year, uh, like this past Saturday, is when we take our annual fitness test. It's a reminder of how many fitness tests we've taken. Uh, it's one of those little check off the box things that we do annually. It's quite satisfying the more you do them because they don't get any easier. Let's start with how you started getting involved with soccer. Sure. So long time ago, before I knew what refereeing was, and I've always been an athlete. Baseball is my sport. Anybody that knows me well, I could sit down and watch a baseball game more so than anything else. Uh, although a little bit of college basketball, but it's all outside of me. I'm probably the non, most non-soccer referee in our ranks. But, you know, that's the thing that I think makes, you know, makes me unique and makes me tolerate a lot of the stuff that, that kind of gets thrown at us uh, when we do referee, right? The, the, tense, the tensions and challenges that we, we overcome. Started way back when my dad was refereeing. It was easy money on the weekends. It was a great time to spend time with him. Uh, he always gave me his game fee. So I always said it was the best part-time job ever. Uh, and uh, then I, we, we did it together. I can't tell you how many, how many weekends. And then for the longest time, like you get your your badge or whatever it is, a grade eight, grade seven, and you realize at the time that uh, you didn't need to uh, get a fitness test associated with being a grade eight or grade seven, I think even then. Uh, so I didn't, because why would anybody ever do that? And then I could stay local and continue to make these few bucks on the weekends and it was satisfying. But then you become, uh, you get that athletic uh mindset and you realize there's a path and uh, you want to compete for that path I mean there's better games elsewhere you realize that and then you make that commitment to go do it and the first taste you get of that it doesn't go away so uh, I was very fortunate to go to a youth state cup the first time that I refereed in the games leading up to it uh, very fortunate to be chosen to go to regionals the first time and then uh couple regionals later, got to go to youth nationals back when that was the premier place to go. And uh, it was amazing. All of a sudden you're on planes and you're, you're doing things formally with, with people that are taking this really seriously. And then, like I said, the competition kind of kicks in that you just want to be better. You want to be better than you want to be better than the guy next to you on the field. Cause you know, that's what decides the, your next game. You want to be better. You as yourself, you know, I always try to learn whatever I did the last game. Can I do it a little bit better? Can I, can I move uh, better? Did I get in the way a certain couple of times? Man, that foul call, is that the level of bar that I want to be at? You know, there's always these, these things that we do in our profession. And then that lasted a long time. And I think it was a grade seven for eight years, maybe something like that. It's funny. If you go back and look at my U.S. soccer thing, it's hilarious because it's purely like uh, don't care or don't know, don't care, don't know, and then like find out and, and then the rose at the top. Uh, pretty pretty quick WPS was my uh, was my springboard into the league which I'm always very thankful for the you know being on the women's side of things first uh, allowed me to get a, in that professional atmosphere to learn what it's like to travel to somewhere to have a game day routine to walk into a stadium to dress your part to you know start dealing with the extra pressures that professional soccer gives you and I was there for the three years that the league existed and was fortunate enough after that to, to make the leap into, into MLS, first being a fourth official and then 
then blowing a whistle. And then uh, the rest is kind of history since then. So you made your MLS debut. This was on June 8th, 2013. Could you tell me yeah. what was running through your head before you went into that game? Yeah, my wife and I were on a cruise in the Mediterranean. And I get a phone call. Now listen, I'm in the Mediterranean and I we're enjoying life and don't want to talk to anybody, don't need to. And it's Alan Brown who calls twice. And I'm thinking, uh, so any case, answer the phone and the reception's terrible. It ends up being Peter Walton and Walton says that, hey, we want to give you a chance. And that that game's going to be in New England. Uh, and listen, listen, it was a, it was fantastic. I'll never forget that phone call because we all strive to get to that, that point. So uh, my wife surprised me at that game. Wasn't expecting her to come. And uh, she has family up there. So like the, to start in, in Boston, it was kind of a special place to do it. And I remember running around with my head chopped off uh, right out of the gate. Uh, after the game, one of my, one of my trusted uh, guys, mentors, so on Eric Simmons had, was there and, and it was so great to celebrate with him. I remember giving him a huge hug. You know, they, we kind of did this together. But, you know, it, I remember Peter saying, like, your positioning was all over the place. But, it, like, in your first game, who cares? You just want to get out of there without being a story. And I think I called, I don't know, one or two yellow cards. It was 15 or so fouls or whatever it was. And, and then you're, you're just thankful that, it, like, now that's out of the way. You know, it's crazy because you, you wait so long to get there, and then you, all you want to do is not get, get it out of the way. Um, which is kind of a unique uh, perception on things. But, yeah, it was wild. It was uh, New England, D.C., right? It was New England, D.C. Um, you were right about your positioning. You were all over the place that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Christian. Thanks for the reminder of that. What was your biggest failure or mistake on the field, and what did you learn from it? That's tough because, I th you know, we talk about this in the referee community. I think we – we talk about our failures more than we talk about our successes. It's stuff that stays with us the most. I think it's the stuff we learn from the most. I mean, uh, we always used to say, me and Eric Simmons, we used to say that you make somewhere of like 100 decisions a minute, right? Ball in, ball out, foul, no foul. Like these things are continuing to go through it. And if you add those up over the course of a game, that's a heck of a lot of decisions that we end up getting right. A lot of decisions we get right. And then game after game after game after game, and I was reading this morning on, on Mike Dean coming out of a real uh, you know, tough weekend, a tough stretch over the last couple of weeks and, uh, and the death threats that he was getting. So, you know, the people that know a little bit of, you know, my relationship with the Orlando City situation when I had, you know, I sent off uh, Rafael Ramos that game and, and some stuff had come out, you know, after that. You know, looking back, like I'm, so, I'm so incredibly confident in that decision. And I know there's still shots out there that, it just does the knee, so uh, you know there's uh, there's proof of that. But you know there's uh, the one in uh, anything that that brings attention to yourself. You never want. You never want to be the story. So like the the DC situation, we're now with VAR. You know the ball comes, you know come comes in between me. I have my eyes back on an injured player uh, that was sort of on the, you know on the ground and was going to play advantage, and then the ball gets passed and uh, uh, is behind me. And Will Traps there, D.C., Columbus. And you try to get out of the way, and then sure enough, the soccer gods, uh, ball ends up in the back of the net. It's the worst feeling in the world. All you want to do is kick off. 
you just want to kick off. But out in this world of VAR, like that creates a little bit, you know, is that an, a little bit of confusion because now the VAR says, well, hey, I, I saw a foul there by, by trap behind. And it's so easy to get caught up in close up, uh, you know, video and slow motion and all this stuff. And you're like, well, the, the law changed. We haven't changed law in, in the league. But surely the intent of the, the soccer world is that they don't want this to be a goal. And we have a bit of a foul here. It's not a big foul, but it's a, it's a foul. And it felt like the right decision. At the time, it just felt like the right decision. And it absolutely was not. It was not. And there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of backlash on that. And you know, I, take, I take what I do, as a lot of us do, very seriously into heart. And um, you know, that hit really hard. I, I couldn't, couldn't sleep, didn't sit well with me. Because um, like, you go in with the best of intentions. And you think you've thought it through and you've had time to like split second decisions, man, maybe you didn't have an angle, but like you make a decision and then you've gotten to look at it and you've had time to process. And then you come out with what in essence isn't the, the best of decisions. So that's a, that, that's a tough one, right? Cause then you realize, oh, there's a lot of learning lessons there. I don't know what's uh, anything specifically, but you start, uh, it feels like it, the time won't end. And then you realize it does, you know, there's, uh, there's new cycles. There's another weekend and set of games and over the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, uh, you know, a few things spread out, but that, that one most recently was, was something that, you know, really was an educational time. Do you think VAR has helped the officials get these big decisions, I, right? Yeah. I think if VAR is using in the, in the way it's intended to use, it's an excellent tool. It's an excellent tool. I think the assumption is that uh, clear and obvious errors are straightforward and clear and obvious when we'll all debate for the, till the end of time uh, handling. For example, uh, we can sit in a room of 100 and decide if that's a penalty or not a penalty. And an hour later, walk out with some still thinking it was and some still thinking it's not. And that's something that is always going to be a challenge with video review or with not video review. The obvious stuff where like nobody had seen the violent conduct behind our back or nobody had seen the arm that clearly touches the ball and is handling no matter how you interpret it or, you know, the contact on the player that happens before the ball because things happen quickly and you may be shielded. I think it's an excellent tool. It's proven for us that the camera from behind the goal, from goal line out, man, shows it shows a ton of stuff that we will never see. There's no positioning that you would ever take for that. Uh, and, you know, you want to make the big decisions. You want to have that weight of the big decision on you. You want to have all that information to do so. And I know our assistants are excellent, especially in the league. They're excellent. But, you know, you want, you want to even, if they have that piece of information, you want to grab that as quickly as possible. And then you put that all together. So VAR adds that extra thing that's obvious. It's great. Uh, just because I referenced it, the whole Mike D thing, when you go over to the monitor and you, you end up looking at it for a long period of time, like it makes your mind does funny things. And then you realize, by the way, you're in the stadium and you're the focus and everybody's looking on you for that decision. And that's not an easy thing for anybody. Uh, as a tool, uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. But it's it. It adds as many challenges as it does solutions.
What's the biggest challenge that you faced refereeing during COVID? Yeah, last year was, uh, or last season was, it was an interesting one, especially when we got in, back into market. We all have routines and COVID is now putting in uh, an extra day, a match day minus two, where you would fly in the night before, you would test the morning of in the market, and then you have a day to do whatever with. When a ton of us are flying night before, wake up, have breakfast with the crew, do whatever you do in the morning, lunch, afternoon nap, and then off to the stadium, you've now got a whole 24 hours different thing. Go to match day itself, and it's, you know, it's masks to the stadium. And then when you walk out for warmups, you're wearing a mask, but then you take it off. Then you get done with warmups and you forget to put it back on because now you're sweating. And then you, you realize that everybody's tested uh, negative out there. So you think you can still, you know, shake the hand or help the guy off the floor or whatever that you've done for years and years. And you try to have to try to avoid that, right? These are innate things. You work so hard to get to having innate things. And then you have to consciously change those. And then not having people in the stadium is, is interesting because I think, well, I, I tell you, we did some educational stuff at camps leading up to it with people had a, that had work games in Europe and try to give us their experiences and the perspective of being able to hear everything where, uh, you know, dissent is an interesting thing in an empty stadium where you've never heard the center back before from 50 yards away, and now you will. Uh, you know, does that raise to the level of dissent, or is that just everything things that we've dealt with for, for time and time, and you just manage it as, as you normally do? And I think you realize that, or at least for me, for me, it wasn't necessarily the ability to hear things or hear, hear everything out there. It was, the, it was the lack of energy in the stadium. Uh, there was, you know, I don't, the more people in the stands, the better I think I perform. Like you go to some of the, the bigger international games that I've done and you're 50, 60,000 and it's jammed and it just kind of just goes into white noise, but you feel it. You don't hear it. You feel it. And when you take that out of a, a game, there was a lot of games last year that I took part in that were not the best of soccer. And I think, it, it, I think that was hindered by the fact that there was not energy to feed off of, feed the home team or the away team. I remember having an assessment and there was a, uh, there was a shoulder charge uh, or a there was a pretty decent foul at speed, but it was all upper body stuff over near the touchline, near the boards. And man, the, the guy went flying and in game, like he, he gets up, doesn't react, moves over. The foul would have been against the home team. And we just go on with play. And it was easy enough for me to manage. Absolutely. And you look back at it on video and you're like, how in the world was that not a yellow card? Where like if people were in the stands, you would have been kind of guided in that direction. You know, the fans are fans, right? They're fanatical for the team that they support but I think they know the game uh, enough and there's situations that they know enough that that energy rises a little bit. We feel that on the field and maybe it helps us guide us to what in essence is the right decision. So I want the fans back. I, I really want the fans back. So going into that question, do you think that the emotions uh, influence a referee's decision? Yeah, that's a loaded question, Christian, because you can't, you can't referee on emotion. You can't do it successfully. 
I don't think you do any, I don't think you make decisions in life successfully based on emotion. But I just kind of told you a half a story that on how emotion helps is an assistance. That's such a fine line there. But, you know, we talk about our league is unfortunately has a lot of uh, surrounding of the referee. It, it happens way too much. And that puts a ton of pressure on there. And that's all, it's all emotion. It's absolutely 100% emotion. And you have to work diligently to just to try to seep all that stuff out to suck the energy out of that situation and then go to what you know right every every foundational decision is based on laws and the consideration of law and then you take a lot of your experience in there and then how do we get out of it with the best decision there's emotion there's emotion in the game you have to manage yours as best as possible you can't snap back at somebody that snaps at you but at the same time raising your voice is also a tool that could help diffuse something right or manage your way through it. Or there's players in the league that, you know, there's a mutual respect when you kind of fire, you fight fire with fire to a certain extent. But it, I think there's a lot of experience that comes into that and how you use it and to what extent you use it. And regardless of who you are, you can't use it wildly. You can't use it often. There's times and places for it. What advice would you want to give an aspiring referee that wants to pursue a refereeing career in Major League Soccer? Learn the path before sooner than I did. That would be uh, that'd be a good thing. Uh, you know, there's there's no replacement for experience. When you think you've figured it out and you think you've seen all the plays that have, you know, now I'm an expert at offside. Uh, now uh, I'm an expert at you know misconduct, or now I've I've hit my expertise in certain areas. Uh, the game will offer you something new all the time. And the minute you get complacent is the minute that you'll fail. That being said, you need to fail along the way. And there'll be some discouraging moments. I think we have a tendency in our profession to critique others. And we have to be really careful about that. Because I think we all have, we all have egos in, in doing this. And we're all human beings, you know, fundamentally anyways. You know, did you see, you know, I've really worked hard over time and to try to get this message across to others too, is like, you know, did you see, it's not, did you see, you know, Christian make that decision last night in the whatever game, you know, there's a ton of learning out of watching other people and watching other games. Why don't we just say, did you see the decision in the match last night? Or you see the decision in Christian's game last night? You know, when we watch clips now and like, if I'm, talking to somebody about a clip and like, what, you know, why would Robert do that? Let's watch the play. Let's, let's decide on the play referee's position, maybe the referee's decision, but it's the referee, right? It's the assistant referee. And if we can back off all the other stuff, there's a ton of learning opportunity and we need to take that. And then at the same time, you need to surround yourself with people that are trusted where you're talking freely and it's not the, formal sit down of an assessment after it's not the like I, I, I was joking with my wife that we have all been in hotel conference rooms more times than any human being should be and if we uh, if we which we are at our point of our career can start doing the educational session back right to those and let's raise the raise the referee world as a whole we can't do them in hotel rooms. we can't we have to do like let's use outside venues let's do let's get creative because in the end like we're all students right we're, we're just like how do you get your message across as best as possible like we do referee in a game like how do you get your message across in the end it's a lot of this is people management 
right? There's a lot of people I think they can blow a whistle and point a direction and say, say what direction that throw in should go. But how do you orchestrate a game from zero to 90 minutes? And it's, an, it's a nonstop journey without an end. So no, that was a really long answer to your question. But when you get to, once you get to Major League Soccer, it's not just soccer. There's an environment. There's a TV element. There's a, uh, you know, a technical staff element. There's players that, you know, all this stuff you have to understand everybody's role in it and try to try to embrace all of it. Right. Even if there's some conflict in there, you have to embrace all of it. What is one thing that you wish that you knew before you started refereeing? Humility is a, is a necessity, right? We always, we learn about empathy. We learn about, Hey, there's an injured player on the ground. Let's show them some empathy that helps us get a long way. I think humility does, does the same. Uh, you have to know that you're out there working as a team. So utilize your team. You can't see, especially VAR, if the video hasn't proven anything, it's that you can't see everything. So we have four people out there and let's try to utilize all of them. And how do you, how do you get that communication to be at the best that you can be? And for me, it's, it's the same thing that we do off the field. I'm comfortable talking to you as I do now. I don't want to change that on the field. We use the same words, no code words right? Keep your motion down, you know, use your first names, Christian, where was the point of contact? You know, hey, Christian, did that go off of him? Just use normal everyday vernacular. Uh, and I think if you can, like, if I knew that earlier, I'd be more successful earlier. When you're young, you think you can run all over the field and you learn that's not necessary and it's, and it's not necessary. It actually puts you in a worse position. And you think, you're, you know everything and you don't. And you think that uh, like that emotion that we talked about earlier is free flowing either way. And that quip that you think is funny may put you in a worse position. It's like what you solve more problems with sugar than vinegar kind of thing. So it's that, but that humility piece is a big one. Who are the three people that have been the most influential to you in your refereeing career? I don't know if I'm going to stick to your three, but I get your, I get your point of your question. I've spoken to Eric Simmons before, and when you get to this point where you're just about to nab into that professional ranks, I think you need somebody that has been there, that has seen it, and to help you navigate it. And he was there at the time, and it, maybe it was uh, it was happenstance, but it, but I'm so thrilled it happened. It was great guidance, and now he works for Pro Two, and he's giving guidance to a lot of others that are developing, and it's really awesome to see. You know, and even when stuff happens in my games, I know I can reach out, and he never he never knows what's going on. <laughs> he's got a lot going on. But he always takes the time to, to figure it out. And that's, that's really appreciative. I could not do this without my wife. And, you, you know, my wife is, has her story career, uh, you know, refereeing. And there's this understanding of what the world is, what the refereeing world is like. And then to be so fortunate to know what the refereeing world is like at the professional level. And then what it's like at the international level. I mean, that right there is so unique. We didn't get married because we're referees. We got married for so many other reasons. But to know professionally, that has been a huge you know, a huge help. And then it's, you know, it's this guidance from a little bit of everywhere. Like, you know, there's this colleagues now like that without that, that, that trusted group, the, the Corey Rockwell's, Drew Fisher's, Alan Kelly's of the world that then I wouldn't be as sharp as I, as I would be, as I am going into a, a given weekend in the soccer world from a, how it, like how that whole thing works. I mean, there's a guy up in North Carolina, Roger Morton, that is just a phenomenal human being that you know, our relationship is really special to me and how we've, what he does to give uh, opportunity and, and structure to the people that he's, you know, that he's around. It's all really impressive. 
and you know, there's names I'm, I'm forgetting. I mean, I was with the Penzos this weekend. We're close as, as families and friends and, and all that stuff. Our daughters are, are, are amazing. And that's the thing too, sharing those ideas and stuff I think makes us better in whatever way you want to impact this world. And at some point you have to impact it more than just being the active referee. What sacrifices have you had to make in order for you to become one of the top referees in the U.S. and the world? Uh, a ton, but everybody everybody does. And it depends on the time of your life that you do it. Obviously, it's easier to commit to all the events if you have no other commitments. That being if you're not married or have children or a full-time job. What gave me opportunity at the beginning is I live 40 minutes from IMG and I'm available. And coming up, being available is a massive thing, as everybody knows. So on a Tuesday morning, when Australia is here to play the US 17s, me, who doesn't have the credentials or the badge, has an opportunity to referee that game. And to be able to see all those youth internationals to come through was amazing. And I was just fortunate at the time to be as available as I was. But life changes. And there's a ton of sacrifice away from home. We have uh, our camps where not only am I on the road week after weekend to officiate a game, now there's midweek where I'll leave on a Wednesday and not get back till a Sunday night or a Monday. That's a lot of time. And especially now my daughter's five. She has her schedule. We have, uh, after I get off with you today, I'll finish up some of my normal work day, which I still do outside of soccer. But there's lacrosse tonight and then there's golf and then there are own little soccer career trying to get off the grounds, you know, and you, you miss a lot of that stuff. And that's tough. I mean, I don't know how our parents did it, but like, you know, iPhones and video chats and, and all that stuff, it brings you that bit closer. But like for me and a lot of us, uh, you know, family first and to sacrifice any of that time is really, really tough. I'm trying to, I always try to be last flight out, first flight in. And that's, that in itself is sacrificing sleep and, and other things, but uh, there's nothing like, you know, the smiles of your family and, and, you know, being around them. So but I think the time of your life actually, you know, it changes, it dictates what sacrifices you have, but everybody has. It. So many people believe that refereeing is challenging to the point where it almost becomes overwhelming. Um, why do you think that some people believe this? Because we lose more people. Let's we'll start at the beginning. We lose more first year referees than anything you look at those numbers it's i mean it's unbelievable how we have enough officials to to cover the games that we we need to cover and we don't right uh, you know i don't know exactly where you are in, in the point of your refereeing career christian but like i remember being back and doing three or four games a day without without question i i'm asked to do what in essence is one game a week and that's a lot right it takes a it takes a lot so to go back and do multiple games in a day is it's insane. And now where MLS is expanding and USL is expanding and there's these games, these games to be covered. But like when you start off, it's very difficult because I say this a lot. Those people are separated from the outside world by a, a painted white line. That's the only thing from separating from an angry parent or somebody that wants to attack or put physical, you know, harm on somebody, or then you have to get to the you know, car and get home after the game and all that stuff. I get, uh, we're so fortunate. I have a, we have security teams, we have walls, we have, you know, X number of layers of things before they can, people can choose. So there's, there's comfort, you know, there's comfort in that. Like I don't envy those that start out and, and, and have to deal with all of it because that in itself, you want me to go to the field, spend my time, trying to do something I love for a few bucks to get 
absolutely berated and threatened. Why would I, why would I want to do that? And then like, when you get to our world where everything's get real, it gets real public and anybody that has a phone or a computer has an opinion and that opinion goes out in seconds. You know, if you get caught up in that world, I mean, my Dean got death threats, his family got death threats. I had my stuff to put out my personal information from, from Orlando. Like that stuff gets real, really quick. And then in the end, it's a game, right? This is all a game. And you think you have to think, you know, is it, is it truly, is it truly worth it? I know we're passionate about it and we want to be the best and we always want to give back, but you know, the referees are always the first to get knocked, right? We always come in with that little bit of, oh, here they are again, right? The NFL, the Super Bowl was last night. And, and there's, there's even that little piece about the officials called too many penalties and stuff. We're never going to get the, you know, that advantage that leads to the goal is going to be celebrated as a goal, not because the advantage. So, you know, when I had, like I had one in the Minnesota playoff game this past, uh, this past season, <clears throat> you know, maybe you leave your hand up just a little bit longer. So like the people that do recognize, you know, it's a small win. It's that little small win when you know the rest of it is, is always going to be a bit of a fight. So. so with that, have you ever felt unsafe in a, in a game or after a game? Yeah, I think I go back to the, to the Orlando thing where we were, or to answer your Orlando question, just because we have the security and we have all that stuff around us. But it does get a little bit worrisome where, unfortunately, there's been stadiums where stuff gets thrown down and, like, you don't want to get injured. You want your crew to get injured. You want anybody to get injured, fans or otherwise, right? But sure, I mean, we've all, uh, if you do ethnic amateur ball on a, on a weekend, you would think, you know, the common theme is that you want to get to, everybody wants to get to work on a Monday morning. You know, emotions get kicked up by, we, you know, I've been in a few of those where it's kind of, you know, police have to show up and there's a bit of, uh, you know, nerve around that, you know, you don't want anybody you know, get, get injured there. And then, you know, we live in an interesting part of the soccer world with CONCACAF. And, you know, when you're doing games in, uh, in certain, certain cities and certain, certain countries, there's where you're not allowed to go out or you're not allowed to do certain things and there's overprotection of stuff that makes you, it makes you think a little bit. And that's, and that's tough. But I don't know, part of that is, you know, that shows, that shows the absolute passion. When it goes over the line and there's actually violence involved, there's actually stuff that comes or there's personal threats involved, then, uh, then yeah, it's scary no matter where it is. What do you think is the most misunderstood aspect of, of the refereeing profession by coaches, players, fans, and the media? I think one of the biggest misunderstandings is still the fact that they, I think people believe that we, we show up, we grab our bags out of the back of the car, and that's it. And then any time between when you've seen us this time and the last time or the next time that we go do other things and, and we just come back. I, I don't think that there's an understanding of truly how much the training goes in. I mean, that we train like the players train or how much output, physical output goes out on the field. You know, you look at our daily graphs and get compared to the people that run the most, the center midfielders of, of a game. And that's, that's with anywhere. You may not have the data at a youth match or a high school match or wherever, but that data is still there. You're still putting in that effort or the educational portion of, of, you know, watching TVs or reading up on law or the way uh, Christine and I had the unique opportunity to give a presentation was the last weekend or the weekend before uh, to an Academy from the perspective of not necessarily trying to teach how to referee, but this, this is what the referees are doing out there. This is the, this is why things are being done the way they're done or whose responsibility is it in a certain situation. So like a parent on the sideline, isn't yelling at the assistant referee in front of them to be like, Hey, why didn't you help? Why don't you help the referee out on that call on the other side of the field? You know, and you try to educate that as, as much as, as possible, right? Because 
information is right. Information is gold. So I think that's, that's a tough thing. The media is getting better. My wife is trying to help contribute to that, right. Through uh, first through Fox and now through CBS in, uh, in passing that information along. And that's a fun thing because, you know, I think they're a bit more open-minded. They're not rooting for a certain team or, or not. It's truly, Hey, how do we broadcast this the best? And there's some great people out there that want to do it really, really well. Shaw Brown, you know, John Strong, Stu Holden. I mean, these guys are trying to put out a broadcast that is that is genuine and gives some perspective. And like you can look at some of the, a lot of the international broadcasts are great. You know, if they don't disagree or disagree with the uh, referee decision, it's a touch on the decision. And then we move on because it's the game that's there. It's not the re, let's rehash and let's stir up controversy and let's let's not do that. And then like the there's an there's a there's, we go into this without any preconceived notions. We have education, like everybody going into a situation should. So like, I know how a certain player usually reacts. I know how I can talk to them. I know what they're probably going to do in a game, but that only helps me do my job better. It's not a, well, this now I want this team to win. It's not the case, right? I don't care about the outcomes per se. You know, right. We learned in referee and that our number one job is safety of the players. That's number one. That stays number one. And then we make sure we work within the law and, uh, you know, and orchestrate the rest of it. So I think there's an underestimation. There's a general underestimation of how much that we put into our craft. And I think that's just an educational piece to make sure that people know that. Does the authority that a referee needs come naturally or is it something that you learn? Well, it's law five in the book, right? So, you know, there's stuff that is on your shoulders if you like it or not. If you want to pick up a whistle, it's, right, it's law says that, hey, you have, you have this, this, and this. And, and same thing with the flag and, and vice versa. But to get, re- you have authority and you have respect. So you can be the authority of whatever, but if they don't respect you on the field, then it doesn't really matter what you, what you do. And that comes with, you have to build that. You have to build that from the moment you, you, you show up, right? It's the, it's the mutual respect in the greeting. Hey, how are you, coach? How are you today? It's a mutual respect with the players. It's the, it's the compliment under the breath. It's the, you know, hey, work with me today. It's a mutual thing. It's not like you over here. Like, it's not like you're not calling a dog. If, you know, can we, you meet somebody halfway? There's nothing that said, nothing that says against that. I remember coming up and either feeling that way or was taught to me that way where, like, hey, you, you're in control. You tell them to come here. You tell them. Listen, in the end, like I said, we're humans. We're trying to manage each other. So there's an understanding that, you know, a decision that you've made on the field was either really tight or, you know what, it could have gone either way, or I kind of see his perspective. If there's a little bit of an emotional outburst there, you kind of have to understand why, right? You know, there's a, there's a piece to that. There's a, there's a responsibility on you to, to have the authority. Same time, I use this, I use this a, a lot too, where if people ask, is there, what words do you say to a coach? What words do you say to a player in a certain situation? And there's nothing specific. Like I, I go off on, tangents all the time and whatever works in the situation it, it just works but are they screaming because are they screaming because your decision truly was wrong because if it is then maybe you give them a little bit more rope maybe you have to kind of eat that a little bit maybe they let that die down and then you explain yourself but there's there's a bit on you on that and then if it's not if you've clearly seen it it's clear the right decision maybe you have a little bit more of a of a leg up you know there's another thing too that i, I take that my buddy drew fisher has kind of um, uses in his kind of on his feedback and his assessments and so on when he watches somebody 
And it's the, you know, did you see my yellow cards today? It, you know, I had seven yellow cards today. And the very immediate question is, well, did you need them? Did you need seven? Not that they were good or not good or whatever, but did we really need that, right? Did that need to be a foul? Did that need to be this? And like the more introspective you get, the more you understand yourself and the more you understand that and the game and the players and the things that the more, you know, respect you get back and your authority grows, you know, side by side. How do you make good and fair decisions under extreme pressure with potentially millions of people watching on TV? You don't think about the millions of people watching on TV. You get immersed in the experience, immersed in your field. You know, most fields are 100 by 120 or whatever that is modified. They all, there's two goals. There's one ball, there's 11 v 11 and you work with what you have and you don't make it any bigger, you know, make it any bigger than that. The more you think about that, the more pressure you're adding on to yourself when there's already enough pressure on yourself uh, during the game. So try to mitigate all of that stuff. You know, uh, if you're at a, at a tournament and you know you've gotten to the knockout part of the tournament, you know, this game means something. There needs to be a winner. But you still have to officiate it as, as you would otherwise, right? You're not going to not call a penalty in the 90th minute if it was a penalty. You're not going to not send a guy off for a tackle in the eighth minute if it was truly a serious foul play. It, like there's, there's stuff that just, it is what it is. And you understand maybe there's a little bit more pressures in games like this, but you have to try to push that down as, as much as possible. From your perspective as a professional referee, what are the best and what are the worst aspects of being a referee? Uh, the best is that we get to be in the professional environment with some of the best players in the world. That game, uh, was it last year? I don't remember now with COVID and all that, but the, to be able to do the Madrid Derby up in, up in Jersey with the best players in the world. Like you, we grew up, I grew up watching the EPL. You grew up, we turn on games on weekends and we're watching the, these guys play, right? Um, and then you're on the field with them. I'm not good enough to play at that level, but I can referee at that level. And I'm as important to the game as, as they are. That, that alone, man, I've, I've been all over the world because of soccer refereeing. Uh, I've been able to go places that I would never have had otherwise. The tough, the tough part, obviously, is the, is the critique, right? You have to get past, you have to get past all, all of that. You know, that comes with the territory. You can't live in social media by any means. I, I would highly recommend not doing that. So there's a challenge. And then at the same time, like you're part of this professional, like you're being asked to perform night in, night out, regardless of the other stressors in your life at the highest levels. And you know, you could take that as a negative or a positive, and I take it as a, as a positive. I want to be expected to, to be the best. So I'm going to referee to be the best. Why don't referees at your level issue yellow cards for dissent? Because <laughs> I don't think anybody, I mean, take this loosely, I'm not IFAB, but I don't think anybody wants to watch a game with 10 yellow cards. I don't think anybody wants, I don't think that's what the, the game's necessarily about. I think there's, the best thing about being a referee and not an assistant referee is that I can always work in the gray area. The old Herb Silva line of I can take a, 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 a law book and I can bend it. Alfred Clinitis, I can bend it. And as long as I can work within that, you know, for the best ultimate outcome, then, man, I like that challenge. I like to ride the ebbs and the, and the flows and the, and the waves of things. And with the sense, you have to first decide if it's an emotional outburst or did he have the opportunity to think about it and then he continues on 
is it truly directive directed at you abusive personal like you know everything that we that we learn i sent off somebody in la last year for a second caution for for dissent so it's not like i'm i'm against it but there's there's a balance to all this right one of the great referee lessons always better when the ball's rolling you get the ball in play things that were a big deal aren't a big deal so keep the ball in play uh, get get restarts going get everything going and you save yourself a lot of trouble. And a lot of that is the descent thing. And if you can manage it as you're running in play, and we still have a soccer game going on, and at some point, they still have their job to do. It's that to, to play defense or set up a guy or score goals, whatever it may be, they have a job to do. And they will default back to their job. And then we can just move on. But, for that, you know, pardon me, it's not, it's not a pissing match out there. It's not a shouting match out there. And... If you're going to show me up or show my crew up, then certainly I'll go to the pocket and there's misconduct for it. If there's something short of that, then I know that I have three tools that are given to me. Go to OSI, you can buy three things. You can buy a whistle, you can buy a yellow card, and you can buy a red card. And that's it. There ain't nothing else. So you have to use them wisely and you have to use them sparingly. And then everything else is you. It's your personality, it's your words, it's your management. So work, you know, work on that. So in your opinion, what are the key attributes that a modern day referee must have to be successful domestically and internationally? Uh, you have to understand that every game is different. And this is going on on top of what I've talked about before. Have humility, have <laughs> know your no law, get your angles. Angles is all angles are always more important than proximity. Proximity sells calls. Angles make you help you make the right calls. <clears throat> so make sure you get, you get your angles. But every game is every game is different, and you can't move, you can't manage every game the same way. You won't be successful doing that. If I go work in Honduras, it's going to be a lot different than if I'm doing a normal MLS game or what like the early rounds of Open Cup, for example, or you know a World Cup qualifier or wherever. If you know everybody else below the professional level, like if you're going from a boys' game to a girls' game, men's game to a women's game, um, you know a, a team uh, a team that has some you know culture in it from like South Miami is going to play a lot different than a team call it from I don't know South Carolina for example, or just pick places right. People play differently. People are brought up differently, and you got to pick up on that really quickly. Right. I don't I've never been a guy that has cared about lineups in the form of formations. Hey, they're playing a, a four four two today or they're playing uh, whatever today, you know. Because I think you get so caught up and on focusing on that and, and talking about it in your pregame and this and this that it could change immediately. They could get have a goal scored on them. Or you know what, the passing lanes aren't working for them today that used to work for them before. And then you have to adjust to that. So now I've spent all this time, you know, telling you about what they are gonna do and they're not. And I go back to, I'll never forget my first year in the league as a fourth official. I was fourth for or uh, first year in the league as, as fourth, yeah, I was fourth for four Hagen Dallas in DC and Kansas City's coming off. Uh, they were out west and it was a midweek game and Man, his pregame was like, yeah, Casey's going to be tired. They're going to pack it in. You know, we're, gonna, we're probably looking at 0-0 zero, zero, and maybe one goal changes this game, and that's probably what it's going to be, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah, it was 4-0 Kansas City at, you know, at the end, and they were on the go from the beginning. So what did we spend all that time worrying about? You know, the game's going to offer you what it's going to offer you. So know that every game's different and be prepared as you possibly can, but you have to adapt. If you could choose one game to referee, what would it be for an example, World Cup final or an MLS Cup final? Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough because as my career has gone on, it's been about who I've worked with and then a little bit of location. I told you I'm a sports guy outside of just soccer. So when I get to work in Yankee Stadium, it's really special to me. I'm a Yankees fan. You get to go walk in the dugout. Even that Madrid game is in Giants Stadium. I'm a big Giants fan. So there's that. And I don't know. I don't know if I would default to the, you know, to the World Cup Finals and the and, you know, even the MLS Cup Finals. Right now, it's it's truly about the entire experience. And I'll tell you this. I don't know if this answers your question or not. But going into this past season, I would have had my hundredth game with a whistle. Okay. My daughter was scheduled to walk out with me, carry the ball out, be with me at the coin toss. We get to work with people that on the crew that I, that I really enjoy working with, right? Can't say, say hand selected or whatever. And maybe some that I, I didn't get to. Joe Fletcher uh, retired, had retired by this time, right? So not, maybe not the, my career long, whatever. And that was supposed to be down in Fort Lauderdale and it didn't happen, right? It didn't happen because of COVID. But like that game would have been the most memorable ever because I'm with my daughter on the field with the people that I love working with and doing game and I guess it would have been a, a really cool atmosphere, right? They've been down there and, and the two teams. But I think it's the stuff away from the game that, that, that brings it all in. So I want that and I didn't get it because I had my 100th game and I won't have it again. But I will promise you before I retire, I will have my daughter walk out with the ball and I'll have the people that I want, you know, the Corey Rockwells and the people on the, on the touches and stuff like that. And that to me is more important than anything. What is your pet peeve of being a soccer referee? <laughs> so that's a large question. There's more to life than soccer, maybe. I think we get really, really caught up in, in this about details and games. And did you see this? And did you watch this? And, you know, can we go over 25 more clips of, of, uh, of tackles and, you know, stuff like this? And, you know, at some time, you just kind of need a break. And it's okay to just step away. It's okay to block on your calendar and say, you know what? I'm just not available next Saturday. I'm just not. And it's okay because there's going to be more games after that. Maybe that's the pet peeve, that there's this expectation that you're always, you know, you're always available for the next game, that you always want to talk about refereeing, you always want to talk about soccer. There's always something more to do. You know, sometimes you just kind of need to shut it off. How is it having a wife that's also a referee? It's fantastic from the understanding fundamental understanding of what I need to do or, or what she needs to do or when we're away for long periods of time, right? You know, she was in uh, the youth Olympics in China for whatever number of weeks that was, uh, you know, you're away from family for four days, call it, you know, normally outside of soccer referee world or, or the world where people travel at that. That's a tough thing, right? You know, I'm here, I got to take care of the house and we got to take care of the, you know, what do we do with this? And, you know, no understanding both things, it's, it's so much easier to juggle and, and make things work that way. And then you can, you can talk about things. Like right now, it's really cool where she's in the broadcasting world, which is such a godsend. It's such an amazing godsend that, you know, you never, we never think that 
that leap is ever possible. It hasn't been done, you know, before per se. And, you know, on Champions League and Europa League days here at the house, now the COVID, right? Their studios, her office here, and we're watching games together and, you know, offering up opinions. And that's a, a cool, common topic of, of conversation. And then that also leads to events that are soccer referee or soccer centric where we can both enjoy together, you know, and offer, offer something to it. Not just, you know, here's my, here's my eye candy on the, on the arm kind of thing, you know. How, how would you describe your, your style of officiating? No, very human. I, like I've always had a bit of personality in the way I've officiated, right? I mean, from, I get a, you know, some whatever, uh, from my, from my penalty decisions or penalty, the way I call penalties, but we all have personality. So why would you stop using that on the field? Uh, and I think I, I like, that's how I, that's how I referee. I like my personality out there, the same humor I use off the field, I use on the field, the same ticks, I guess I, I use on the field. I'm not, you know, I'm not the, never going to be the, the fastest guy, uh, but I can get around the field. I can move. Like I, my sprints on Saturday were five, we're still sitting five, six. I'll be 43 here in a, in a couple weeks. So that's, uh, that, you know, I'm something I'm still proud of, but what you see is, is what you get. And I always say the best, man, I wish, I wish Christian, it was like this where, you know, you can listen in to what we're talking about on the field. I think it's the best, it'd be the best educational experience ever from a referee thing. I would, and if people come to a game and I can get you, you know, Mike to listen in, I would love to do it. Um, because you'll hear me talk out there as I'm talking to you now. And it's, and that's a good perspective that I, I think is, I think I'm really good at stripping back all that emotion that we talked about and the, and the, the pressures that are on there. You won't, you won't hear me. I'll be pretty even keel throughout. Why do you point like that when you, when you do your penalties? Why? Yeah. Um, I think it comes back to my baseball days. I don't know if it's, if it's like the strike call and, and, and stuff like that, but it's all a, first of all, it's always got to be with the left hand. I think you just pointed with the right. It's got to be with the left. And that's partly because of the, you know, the whistles in the mouth here. You can't do both. So there's, there's number one. Um, and yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of baseball in there, but it's a big, it's a big decision. It's an absolute big decision. And you know, when you're confident in it and you've seen it and we're giving it, give it any of our decisions out there. You never want to be the, you know, sweet and then a little bit of this point and whatever, you know, be confident in your stuff. And maybe that's between the, the confidence and stuff. It, it maybe that's the, the reason why it kind of, evolved into what it evolved to. If you could go back in time and give a piece of advice to young Ted Uncle, what would that be? Uh, upgrade sooner. Don't uh, allow the goal in the in the DC game. That would probably be a good idea. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I hate being redundant. I hate being redundant. I think there's. I think there's. You know, there's a there's a guy. I won't mention his name, but he's like. He says, I you know, I can't teach you how to run. I can teach you how to referee. And I think when you're young, when I was young, I was just, you know, you just run, you just run. I'm like, okay, I'll take you up on it. Teach me how to referee. But you can't lean, like you can't lean on, you need, you need other people, but you need yourself first and foremost. You have to look introspectively, Like you have to figure out a way say, you know what, man, I'm like, I messed that up. I gotta, how do I do better? And then you reach out Then you figure out like what piece you need to, 
to get better. And maybe we just fall into this, this little trap where, you know, you just want to do a game where you want to get recognized, you want to get invited. And then I'll just go do some more games. And then maybe I'll invite you to something else. And then I'll do this and I'll invite something else. Like you need to take some ownership there. And it's not the walk around, talk to everybody thing. Like nobody likes that. It's not the woe is me because everybody's going through the same thing. But you have to find, you kind of have to find your own path. And you know what? And you got to and, and find people that the same, the same thing that are common goals um, and then grasp onto them. And then can you continue to utilize them? What's one thing that you like doing outside of soccer? Oh, a ton, man. I like this summer was, was paddle boarding on weekends. I grew up on the beach. We live in Sarasota, Florida, 15 minutes from the beach. We have a place over, over close over there. Sunshine. I, I just love being outside. So if I could do that and be on the water or be on the beach, this is my happy place. Love playing golf. I've got, you know, anything. I going to watch my daughter this afternoon is going to be going to be fantastic. I love working like the actual being entrepreneurial and figuring out problems and, and that thing. I'm really bad at, at taking vacations and, and that I could, I could do better at just have life experiences. Have, Hey, listen, go have a great dinner with, with good friends, call them up and say, Hey, I miss you. I love you. I like, Hey, let's get together. Like that stuff with the best, with the people that are your family and who have become your family that are non-blood spend as much time with them and tell them and remind them that, you know, you love being with them and you, you know, you appreciate everything they do. That's stuff I, I can do for the rest of my life. What's the most important thing that you learned in your life? I don't know. I don't know if I could give you a, 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 an answer that I haven't already kind of went down that road. I think that last thing I said is, you know, it hits near and dear to me. You know, you, it's funny when you grow up, I think you try to be, you try to have as many friends as possible. You try to have as many friends as possible. Like even in this age of, I get, listen, I'm not on social media. I have a Twitter account, but I, I look, I post every once in a while, but I just, just to get some insight. But people like to get Facebook and Instagram and hey, how many, how many friends and how many likes and all that stuff. And I never really got into that world. And even if you grew you up, like you want to know as many people in your school as possible and, and all that stuff. And then you realize as life goes on, like that circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And, but those people become more important and more important and more important. And it's a reason why that is, right? And you just, I think you need to find those people as soon as possible. And I get life changes and there's, and, and stuff changes. But there's something about, I know my parents always said it's always better to give than to receive. So there's a lot of great lessons between my parents and my, my grandparents. Please and thank you go are the most important words in the English language. We teach that through our daughter right now, right? I am emphatic about, about that. Respect others. Absolutely respect others. Have some perspective. You know, understand why people, you know, don't jump to a conclusion. You know, maybe if they, someone's emotional at you, maybe there's a reason behind it and it may not be you. You'll have some perspective there. And all of this gives some clarity. All this, you know, I think just makes life that much, that much better. So I don't know. Maybe that was a little bit deeper than you were looking for, but there's my answer. So if you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't? I don't know if there's a, that, that question, Christian, but I'm glad you went the way you went. I'll say this. I'm glad you went the way you went because I think we get caught up, like I said, we get caught up in the soccer world and we end up talking about the same old things over and over again. And there's so much, like it's, it's the game's changing. Our responsibilities are changing. It's so different. You know, we have the... 
you know, I love giving a little bit of peek behind the curtain. So even that we have a preseason camp and we did that two weeks ago and then there's four hours of education one day and five hours of education the next day, we still had an email this morning that was questions followed up that we got clarification from, from IFAB on. And that stuff always happens. Like during the year, if a decision is made on the weekend, like not everybody knows the answer. And I'll tell you that the great thing too is we have a lot of really educated referees in our group in our room that if the majority of like the majority the overall majority says hey you know what i really agree that that wasn't a, a penalty it's been nice to know that some of the like the the management has come around and be like you know now that we've taken all the information in then we're good we're not there's not this stick in the ground this is our answer you guys are wrong thing because that's not good for any, anybody either i think if you continue to do these things if you can get more just continue to probe and get more perspective of what's what's behind the curve, what people would not know otherwise. It, it's great. I, I, I love that you're doing what you're doing. And so where can our listeners connect online if they want to talk with you? You can find me on, uh, I guess you can find my Twitter handle. That's at uncle. It's got a, a logo that someone was kind enough to make for me on the, uh, that's actually a, a uh, shadow of my penalty uh, decision or my penalty, uh, my penalty call. You find me there. You can reach me. Uh, yeah. And if anybody, if you ask anybody, I'm more than happy to do whatever I can to help, even if it's a quick conversation. All right. Thank you, Ted. Any, any final words for us? What we do is not an easy thing. Celebrate your successes. Absolutely celebrate your successes. If you fail, know you're going to fail again. Just make sure you learn something from that. And root for others. Uh, you know, I would say be easier on the critique. Like I said before, there's a lot of learning to be had out there. Look at the play. And, you know, how the referee, the referee adjusts to it or the assistant referee adjusts to it. Uh, not necessarily that, you know, Paul, Joe, Angie, eh, that, that stuff doesn't matter. We like, we want to, we all want to be better. We want to be better in this game. And so, well, hey, so you're not working seven games on a weekend. So we have, you know, competent referees that are doing what we're doing. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. This was the CR Referee Podcast, and we'll see you till the next episode.